Let me pray. We'll just ask God to really speak into our lives through the, uh, through the sermon today. Lord, I think of these people gathered here today and those who are listening at home, and I, I just celebrate the fact, uh, Father, that you love them. Um, it is an amazing thing to think that the God of eternity, the God of all power, God of all knowing, the God who is present at all places at all times, the God of eternity, loves us and knows us each individually and we thank you for that lord and lord the prayer right now is that out of that love you will you will be at work um, that lord you'll take the words that i speak and bring them to life in the lives of the people listening you'll take the words of scripture and you'll take them from the head and let the truth be transported down into the heart so that change can happen in us, so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus, so that we can think like him and desire like him, love like him, be in relationship with you like he is. So God, by your Holy Spirit, we pray you'd move now and you'd bless this time. Bless us, Lord, out of your love. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, when I was a little kid, you're all going to relate to this if you were once a little kid and went to Sunday school. Whenever we were asked a question, we always knew what the right answer was. Can you tell me what it is? Jesus. doesn't matter what the question was. If you said Jesus, nine out of ten times you were right. You know, uh, who is the Son of God? Jesus. Who is your friend? Jesus. Who loves you? Jesus. I mean, it just didn't matter for some reason. And then that was good because it's very Jesus-oriented and what a tremendous uh, thing to keep kids focused upon. But as I've thought about our series, the I Am series, in which Jesus makes these profound statements about his identity, what I'm realizing more and more and more is that the answer is Jesus. The answer to our questions, the answer to our need, um, the answer to what it is that we long for in life. Today we're going to look at another one of these statements where Jesus makes a statement that might seem a little bland to us initially, but in the day it wasn't bland at all. It was stunning. And we need to get to that point where we're stunned by it as well. And what he says is very simply, I am the bread of life. You know, you can think, well, yeah, of course, we feast on Jesus. We eat, on, we eat him symbolically and, and we're, we're nurtured in faith. Um, but for the people listening, it was much, much more. So let's allow it be, to become more to us too. The only way we're going to really understand what Jesus was saying was to recognize what he had just done. He had fed the 5,000. Just done it. Uh, and, and, and in fact, it wasn't 5,000 people he fed. It was probably more like 15,000. That's the general estimate. We don't know because the 5,000 were men and women and children beyond that. It was a massive miracle. Can I put it that way? It was an incredibly impressive miracle. 5,000 times 3 hungry people. They had traveled to the country. You know, they were out of the way. They, they went to hear Jesus preach. He was an incredible preacher, teacher. At the end of the day, there was no money to buy food. And even if there was, they wouldn't have been able to find the actual food for such a huge crowd. Like, this is, this is big. And uh, Jesus turns five loaves and two fish into a meal for everyone with leftovers. Abundance that flows from his hand. Um, now, no one in that crowd, because they were Israelites and they knew their Old Testament Bible incredibly well, 
some of them would have memorized entire sections of it, like entire books and so forth. They were biblically focused people. No one in that crowd would have experienced the feeding of such a crowd without thinking of what God had done for the Israelites a long, long time ago as they wandered around in the desert and they were hungry and they desperately needed food to eat. What God did was give them manna, miraculously, in order that they could survive, in order that they could thrive. So I'm going to read to you from Exodus 16, verses 1 to 4, and then 13 to 15. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. I'm guessing their food stores were now depleted. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate the fo- all the food we wanted. But you have brought us in, out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're afraid of dying. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the dew was gone, thin flakes, uh, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. What is it in Hebrew is? Manna. Manna. Um, See, in that moment, God exercised his power and this massive miracle took place. This incredibly impressive miracle took place. People who were hungry were fed. And they were satisfied. And they were amazed. So Jesus... um, provides this this miracle in very similar fashion. And then after this, he heads away. He he needs to get away with his disciples. It's been a demanding day, and uh, he wants a break. But the next day, the crowds find him. And a discussion ensues, which I'm going to read to you. 25 to 35. And listen carefully to these people who have encountered the miraculous, who have experienced the power of God, who have had their need met in Jesus where their heads were at. Should we put it that way? When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you were, you were looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works, of God, the, the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate, in, ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, they're making the connection, not Jesus. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Two things to note in this. Number one, Jesus is, is locating himself in this instance, and remember it's in parallel to what happened before, as the giver of bread. He's locating himself as God. It's another claim to divinity. In the minds of these people, God gave the manna, Jesus saying, well, they, he did, he gave the bread. But even more than that, not only is he, he the giver of the bread, of the food, he also says in this verse that he is the food. He is, if you would, the bread that was to come. And it's not bread that, the, the bread of life that will satisfy physical hunger that he begins to speak of. It's spiritual food that gives spiritual life. He's saying food <laughs> not just that will uh, satisfy you physically as those people were satisfied in the desert and were kept alive. We're enabled to live. It is spiritual life I want to give to you. It is spiritual life that will satisfy your souls. It'll, it is spiritual life that will give you strength. See, Jesus saying, I am the one who gives that life to you, me. I am the one who will satisfy your soul's hunger. I am the one who will give you strength for the journey. You see the parallel he sets up? And then what he goes ahead, ahead to do is actually to contrast. He's already begun, and I'm going to read another paragraph where he actually does more of this. He begins to compare and to contrast, if you would, what Moses had done and what the manna was. So let's see 48 to 58. It says this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate man and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And I want you to start to really appreciate how stunning a statement this was for people. You know, beginning to, to recognize Jesus is saying, you know, you know what? The manna that you, God gave you, it was good, but you know what? It wasn't quite as good. You know, they ate it and they died. What I can provide to you will last forever. Um, Moses uh, lasted, uh, the manna of Sorah lasted a few hours, but the bread I give you will last for eternity. That food perished, I will not. The manna gave life to a few, but I will give life to the world. You see how he's comparing himself to this exalted figure, Moses, and the incredible miracle that God did? And you see, very simply, what we recognize now, that Moses and the manna, that incredible act of God for the Israelites in that day, was nothing more than a, a symbol, a sign pointing forward to the real one who would come and give bread but who would give the bread of life, spiritual life. M Moses and the manna were simply pointing forward to Jesus. 
Jesus saying is saying, I'm greater than Moses and the food I give you is better than manna. And these people would have just been shocked. Shocked that such a thing would be said. Their response is again about his identity. I'm going to reread to you 41. I'm going to read to you 41 and 42. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? It's about who are you? He's just a man. He's just the son of people we know. How can he say this? What Jesus is saying when he says, eat me and so forth, he's saying, believe in me um, uh, and receive me. Uh, Come to me and find your hunger satisfied in me and I will give you eternal life. I will give you life that is for now and that will last forever. Primary application here is really simple and it's primarily about what people will do with the bread of life. And I, you know, as we approach Christmas, as, as we're moving toward that season when we are focused in on the coming of, of, of Jesus to Bethlehem, the, the question is posed, what will we do with him? How will we respond to him? What will we believe about him? See, these people had the opportunity to believe in him, as he said, but they did not. They walked away. Verse 66, I believe, later on says that they deserted him. They essentially said, we do not believe that you are who you say you are and that you can do what you said you can do. And essentially the question among us here, all of us, is what will we do with this statement? What will we do with this person who claims this divinity and this power? Um, the, sim- the message is incredibly simple. And it's Jesus saying to us, you need me in order to know real life. In order for your soul to be satisfied, in order for you to be spiritually strong, you need me as bread is necessary for the well-being of the functioning of a body. You need to believe uh, in who I am. You need to believe in what I have done, that I have died on a cross in your place. I have taken your judgment and condemnation and penalty. And now your sin can be forgiven and now you can become a child of God. Now you can have this different quality of life that enters into a person when the eternal one enters into their soul or their spirit and transforms. We are caught up in the life of God and that life will last for eternity. And there may be people listening right now, I don't know, but there may be people here who don't believe this thing that Jesus has said of himself. Um, But before you decide potentially against believing this, I want you to think about this. These people in John chapter 6, they've seen an incredible miracle from Jesus. They have seen the power of God flow through his life. It's just profound in their experience. Um, And they're standing in the presence of the eternal Son of God. Jesus is speaking to them. He's right there. They're engaging him. He is the one who is able to give them the life they long for. And in the end, they're only concerned about another free meal. Can you see how crazy that is? And in the end, they miss out on so, so much. I would just say to people who are considering the claims of Jesus, don't make the same mistake. 
Think carefully before you desert him, before you walk away from him. Now, this life that Jesus offers to us, this life that I want to suggest we all need, that we long for, how does it come to us? Jesus satisfies our hunger and he gives us life spiritually. And it's not, of course, physical life, it's hunger for our souls. Let me put it this way, there are a lot of hungry people in our world. Let me put it this way, are you hungry? In your soul? There are a lot of people who can't get to the place in life that they want to get where they can be satisfied with what they have. They look and they look and they look, but they can't get there. They can't find that thing that will give them the life that they want. You know the old proverbial statement, we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. All of us here listening, we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. And it's only when that hole is filled by God, Christ, that we come to the place of being satisfied in life. And you know what people tend to do when they have maybe turned away from Jesus or not yet found him is they try to fill that hole with other things. And this is the sort of discussion we've had about idolatry numerous times. Sometimes it's wealth. If I could only have the money that some other people have, then I'd be happy. Sometimes it's the possessions. And by and if I could buy that, <laughs> if I could have this home or that car or whatever it might be, then life would be good. If I could have that relationship, if I could find the right person, then I'd have what I want. You know, sometimes it's in the realm of, of sexuality. Um, you know, I, was thinking, I was thinking even this morning about how stats suggest that uh, uh, pornography addiction is very common in our culture and even in the church. Very common, I'm afraid. And, and, and whether it's that addiction or otherwise, there's this thing that we crave if we're participating in such things. And, you know, we can't stop ourselves from going there. It's like we have to have it in order to survive. We have to take hold of that because we think if we can just watch that one more time, we'll be satisfied. Now, of course, we never are. And it doesn't matter whether <clears throat> the addiction is toward pornography or alcohol or drugs it doesn't matter what the addiction, we are craving something. We're trying to take hold of something that will satisfy our souls. But I want to tell you, my friends, it's only God who can fill the God-shaped hole. Why do some people have affairs in marriage? Because they're still looking for something they don't have. And on it goes. I want to show you a quote. Put it on the screen. It's, committed by, it, it's attributed to G.K. Chesterton, an English intellectual from the previous century. It's actually written by a man named uh, Bruce Marshall, a Scottish uh, novelist of the 20th century. And I want to tell you, if you get this statement right away, then you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. If you don't get it, and I didn't get it the first time I read it, um, take time to think about it, but the young man who rings the doorbell of the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. I heard that the first time I thought, What? The young man who rings the doorbell of the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. The young man at the door of the brothel is, is longing for more. Longing to be satisfied in his soul. <laughs> Recognizing there's something missing and he's looking for life. And he thinks that will do it. But it won't. My friends, we all have this longing. And we're all hungry for God, whether we know it or not. 
Because in the end, it's only Jesus, and it is only Jesus who can satisfy our souls. And you know, sometimes it's not just the non-believing, but it's the believer as well, right? We're looking for something, but we haven't yet really taken hold of it. We may be in the kingdom. We may have our sin forgiven. We may have taken care of the fire insurance, you know. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. But we've just stepped into the kingdom, but that's where it ends. And we are left with unsatisfied souls. We're longing for something because we haven't found what we need to satisfy us. And Jesus comes along and he says, uh, it's me. You need me. You need to feast on me. You need to feed on me. You need to, to, to believe in me, receive me, live in deep relationship with me. And in me you will be satisfied. The other thing that uh, bread does, of course, is strengthen us. Not just physically, but also spiritually. Now, I think we can all relate to those days when, I, uh, for me, it's when I actually work physically all day on something. And, and I come to the end of the day, and I'm just, I'm tired. I'm just really tired. You know, it's like the strength is drained out of me. Can you, can you relate to that? And, you know, you sit down at a meal, and you know that you need to eat because you know that that food is going to give you strength. And you sit down, and you eat the meal, and you feel strength seeping back literally into your body strengthening you. And I want to suggest today, my friends, that it's exactly the same thing with the spiritual life. We need to feast on Jesus to be strong. Now, the reality is too often Christians are weak in faith because they don't take time with Jesus to know the strength that he will provide primary example temptation and sin if there if there is ever a believer who is seemingly incapable of resisting sin one of the great potential reasons is that they haven't feasted on Jesus he's there they just don't bother with him and they can't say no they're they're unable to resist sin sometimes it's weak faith sometimes it's a weak conviction about what we believe sometimes it's our commitment to god sometimes it's the commitment to the work of his kingdom and we will be weak if we don't receive and experience the presence and the power of christ at work in us so that his power seeps into our weak bodies enabling us to do what we can't do on our own you know, Jeremiah 15, 16, speaking of when God called him to be a prophet, said this, When your words came to me, I ate them. <laughs> they were my joy and my heart's delight. When the word of God came to that man, he consumed them. They, so that they filled him. Remember Jesus, John 15, we've talked about it already in this series. If, I, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and my words abide in you. My goodness, we need the word of God because it will come and it will empower us. It will become part of who we are. It will strengthen us because Jesus by his spirit will speak that truth into our lives. And then of course, by being with Christ in scripture and in worship and in prayer, by experiencing him, we will be filled with his Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit will just flow, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. We will be empowered. Our souls will be satisfied. So that we really won't need anything else in order to really live. In order to be strong. 
in order to be satisfied in our souls. We're not going to be running after all these other things that just take us away from God and don't ultimately satisfy. They do not satisfy. See what Jesus is saying? He's come to me. (laughs) And as you eat bread, so consume me, be with me, allow me to strengthen you and empower you and satisfy your soul. I am the source of life, he's saying. And until you find me, you're going to be hungry. So I'm going to ask you some questions and I want you to answer as if you were five years old. Who gives us the life that we want? Who satisfies our soul? Who strengthens us to live for God? See, my friends, the answer to the question of our lives is Jesus. And I just pray that you have found that life, even as believers. I know most of you here are believers, if not all. But our bodies aren't satisfied with food unless we eat that food. We have to engage this Jesus. We have to come to that place where we have received him, where we believe in him, where he is filling us with his word and his words are alive in us and his spirit is dwelling within us. And in a very real sense, we can be like these people who were right with the Son of God and didn't bother with them. They left him. Live your life with him. Pursue him. Run toward Jesus to have your need met. And you will know life and life eternal. And in the end of the day, I want to ask you the question, do you believe that? or not. Let's pray. Lord, I prayed a moment ago about about the fact that you love these people gathered before you with all of your heart. And you want the best for them. And you want them to know life. And you want their souls to be satisfied every single day. And you want them to be strong in their faith, able to live the life that they long to live. Lord, you want to give them life and life eternal. God, I would pray for them. I pray for myself that we would be people who do not run after other things, but who allow this truth to seep into our minds and then into our hearts so that we turn away from those things and we actually pursue you, Lord Jesus and find you, and find you to be that which we need to truly live. I pray, Lord, for people who might be looking toward other things. I pray that you will reveal those other things to them. And I pray that they'll turn away from those other things. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help them to take time to be with you, not only Sunday mornings, but, Lord, in prayer as they read your word, as as they share their lives with you so that you, Holy Spirit of God, might fill them to the brim and to overflowing. Lord God, so work in our lives that we find this life, that we take hold of this thing called eternal life so that our souls are satisfied, so that we are strong in you. Lord God, this we pray in Christ's name.